Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. Well, if you wouldn't mind, I'm going to jump straight into my word and some thoughts. Uh, we're in this process of talking about what it means to be a people who take ground together in taking ground. And I wanted to just pose a question to us today. Whose side are we on? And thought comes out of the book of Joshua, chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. In this portion of Scripture, we see that Joshua has prepared the people of Israel to start the process of taking the land that God had promised for them. And if, if there's anybody in the Scriptures who I wish I could sit down and have a meal with, it would be Joshua. I mean, obviously it'd be Jesus first and foremost, but out of all the other humans available, it would definitely be Joshua. And and I've talked about Joshua continually through this season because he has been somebody whose faith and example has has caused me to dig deeper than ever before. And this may well be the last message I bring this year on Joshua, but stick with us, Joshua will come up because I am so inspired by his life and his example. See, Joshua lived generations and generations and generations before Jesus was born. And he came out of an extended season of slavery where God's people were a nation without a homeland, where they were a people forced and objected to slavery and where he himself was a slave. And then through a process of deliverance, of supernatural breakthrough. God's people were led out of captivity in Egypt, including Joshua, who was a slave. And they were led through an extended season in the wilderness as God in His grace dealt with those that didn't have the faith and the confidence to enter into the promises that He had for them. But one of the key people that carried that hope and that promise moving forward was Joshua. That while others in his generation weren't able to pass on to inherit the promises of God, Joshua himself was able to cultivate in his heart a heart of strength and courage, even in the face of dismay and fear. And what inspires me about this person is that so easily he could have lived the life of a victim. We could have lived the life of the story that the Egyptian slave masters had told him. Where I imagine if he didn't bake enough bricks in a day or make enough things for them, they would punish him and that nothing he could ever do would be good enough to cause him to live the type of life that maybe he harboured deep inside. And that as he's led out into victory and he's been led along with the people of God to begin to inherit their promises, I'm inspired by him because he didn't carry the slavery mentality with him. You know, I catch myself continually as God is wanting to lead me forward and how easily I carry some of the hurts and the disappointments and the discouragements that have been and I try to bring them forward into now. And the more I do that, the more I get robbed of what God has made available now. And so what inspires me about Joshua is that he had the opportunity to die out in the wilderness with his entire generation that did not have the faith to enter into the promises of God, but there was something different about him. He cultivated a heart of strength and courage. He cultivated the faith that says, while there are fights ahead for us, God has called us to this fight, which means He's called us to victory. And if we'll just enter in by faith, God in His grace will make a way. 
I think the account of Joshua is desperately needed for us today because we are bombarded with so much stuff that would cause us to look backwards and try to reconcile what has been instead of pressing into what God has made available now. And so Joshua leads the people of God in a process, a process of transformation so that they can inherit the promised land. And to inherit the promised land, they needed to fight for it, which boggles the mind sometimes because you think if God's calling you to have something, surely wouldn't He give it to you on a silver platter? But it doesn't seem to be the way that the Holy Spirit works through His people, that instead God would prefer to partner with us, to empower us, to anoint us, to equip us and to see His victory done through us. See, Joshua, as he's preparing the people to cross over the Jordan River, he said to them, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things amongst you, amongst us. God wants to do amazing things amongst His people. He's not apart from His people. He's with His people and works through His people. And so as they cross over the Jordan and Joshua has the in envious role of equipping an army of slaves to start to live out life as a warrior. They are presented with their very first significant battle in the promised land, which is the city of Jericho, which was impossible for them to take. The walls were too strong. They were too well fortified. They were a city state onto themselves and they were well prepared to push back against the invading force of God's people. And Joshua had the stock of slaves to work with. These weren't soldiers. These weren't warriors. These were people that had been led out and had to journey for years through a wilderness experience. And you think, how did he do it? How were people like that able to inherit the promised land? Because the reality is that Joshua led them through 13 battles. They won all of them bar one. And the one that they lost is simply because they didn't obey God. What a success rate. You think, how did he do it? How did this man who lived as a slave, grew up as a slave, had to journey for 40 years in the wilderness and not give up his hope? How did he do it? I think one of the keys for me comes out in Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. It says this, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, could you just imagine that, being near Jericho, having spent your last 40 years walking around in the desert, living out of a tent, and all of a sudden you see something so big, so huge, so massive before you. What thoughts are running through your head? Is, is this it, God? All that we've experienced, all that we've done, is this it? Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. It says he didn't see the walls. He looked up and he saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or are you for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did say, If you keep reading in the portion of Scripture, you go on to chapter 6 of Joshua. I'm always mindful that originally there were no chapters, no verses in the Scriptures, that something that's been added 
in recent history to help us find where we're going in this huge and amazing book. And it goes on in the very next chapter where Joshua has a discussion with God, with this man, and he gives him the strategy for how to take Jericho. You're going to walk around it for seven days and on the seventh day you're going to walk around it more and you're going to shout and the walls are going to come tumbling down. And the whole victory was set up for this moment. So I imagine being Joshua walking around and on the outskirts of Jericho and all I can see is the walls and then there before me is a well-equipped soldier, sword drawn. And he has this immediate question. I wonder if it's the same question I would have had. I assume so. Are you for me or are you for them? And I love the response that's given. It's like, that's the wrong question because I'm neither. So the question that should have been, uh, are you for me? Because the reality is that Scripture unpacks this idea that the person that Joshua came into face-to-face encounter with was God Himself. Because we know that because that place became holy and there's only one who can make ground holy and that's God Himself. That Joshua didn't recognise this to begin with, but he shifts his tone and changes the way that he engages with this being when he begins to call him Lord and he falls face down in reverence before him. So the question that I have to ask us as we continue to take ground together is whose side are we going to choose to be on? Because it is so easy to live our lives where we're thinking that things break down into my will be done or the enemy's will be done. But the truth is we have to answer the question, are we willing to live with God's will be done? So when presented with the question, whose side are you on? The commander of the Lord's army was clear. Joshua, you need to be on my side. Can just imagine what Joshua's thinking. Is he thinking of the strategies? What am I going to do? We're going to use grappling hooks. Man, I wish cannons were invented. Boy, I really wish that we had a, a, a Top Gun Maverick to call upon to just come in and bomb this thing. I, I, I wish I lived in a different season of history. This is going to be really, really hard. But the victory was found in the strategy that God was going to give him. But it was found in him first answering the question, whose side was he going to be on? Are you for me or are you for the enemy? Neither. Neither. And out of that, Joshua has the only response that could possibly be given. He falls face down in reverence. I know that's not necessarily popular for us to do. I know that it might be odd if we come in to see each other worshipping at some points and see people face down on the ground. But it was a Practice done even in ancient times as a sign of complete surrender, as a sign of complete dependence, as an understanding that what I'm in right now is so much bigger than myself. And that for Joshua to truly take ground, he needed to move from a life where he's trying to get his will be done, where he had to come in and submit God's will be done. This idea of falling face down in reverence. Reverence means to lay down yourself. You know, when I was 16 or 17 years old and I gave my heart to Jesus and I I met Him for the first time, one of the things I really struggled with was changing from my secular music to worship music. 
Things weren't as good as they are nowadays. I think at the time I gave my heart to Jesus, Shout to the Lord may have been the most popular song still sung in churches and nothing against that song. But I really struggled. I had all my albums and I really felt led by God to get rid of them. I had things like Rage Against the Machine and Slipknot and things like that and just shifted. And I remember going to the Kurong for the very first time and being really weirded out that there was such thing as a Christian bookshop. If you don't know about Kurong, we have one in the city and they do exist. And I walked in there and they had CDs on the wall because it was back then where you didn't have Spotify or YouTube and that you actually had to buy music, which was a real drag because you couldn't have as much music as you wanted. And I remember coming across the album by a gentleman called Matt Redman. And I don't know if his songs have really lined up, but there was one album I bought early in the process where I'm adjusting myself. And it's called Face Down. And there's this song that he sings. And I'm going to read the lyrics to you because this song has stuck with me from the moment I met Jesus. And I'm not going to sing it to you. <laughs> but I want to read it to you. Because what if the key to taking ground is being willing to fall face down in reverence and on holy ground. Here's the lyrics to this song. Welcomed into the courts of the King, I've been ushered into your presence. Lord, I stand on your merciful ground, yet with every step tread with reverence and I'll fall face down as your glory shines around. Yes, I'll fall face down as your glory shines around. Who is there in heaven like you? And upon the earth, who's your equal? You are far above. You're the highest of heights. We are bowing down to exalt you. So let your glory shine around. Let your glory shine around. King of glory here be found. King of glory. There's this line here, we are bowing down to exalt you. I wonder if the only way to live a life where God is exalted, lifted up through us is to live a life where we're willing to come to Him and fall face down. We're willing to say that I don't have all the answers and I'm not trying to get you on my side, God. I'm not trying to convince you of my way of things. I'm simply coming to you and saying, let you adjust me. God, in your goodness, you adjust me, not the other way around. I'm not here to fix you, Lord. I'm not here to change you. I'm here with an opportunity to surrender to you, to fall face down in reverence and awe and say, Lord God, I am desperate for you to change me. And I wonder if that was the key to these people taking ground. I wonder if because Joshua was willing to do that, he was able to lead the people to live that out. And because he was willing to live that out, the commander of the Lord's army, who was God Himself, said to him, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. What made it holy? Wasn't it already holy? The commander of the Lord's armies was already there. Wouldn't you think that'd be the first thing he'd say? As Joshua's walking along, imagining these walls that were impossible to overcome and he comes face to face with the commander of the Lord's army with a sword drawn. And you think the first thing he would say, if this is God Himself, which it is, that He would say to him, hey, before we talk, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. But He didn't. He only said that after Joshua chose to fall face down in reverence. 
So here's what brings the holy into our lives. Scripture says, as you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. And that wherever you are can be holy ground. If you choose to engage with the living God, when you go to work and you're working in your workplace and you're dealing with the most amazing customers possible, if that's your line of work, you can be on holy ground. If you choose to say, Lord, it's not my side, it's not their side. I want to be on your side. For some of us in our family situations, in our environments, and the things that we're working through, pressing through, believing for, wherever you are can be holy ground. That as you fall face down in your heart, you actually exalt Him in your life. And it's through that that a people truly begin to take ground. I want to read just one final Scripture as we get ready to seal the deal. So we're talking about taking ground. Whose side are you on? Matthew 16, 13 to 19. We're captured with an account of Jesus travelling with those that He's called to develop and empower, to be the bedrock of what was to come, the very first church in Jerusalem. It says this in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, which is ridiculous because John the Baptist was Jesus' own cousin. No idea where that came from. Others say Elijah. They were saying Elijah because it was promised that Elijah would come again, the power prophet. Others said Jeremiah. They said Jeremiah because Jeremiah was the one who saw the fall of Jerusalem generations before and wept over the fall of the city. They hoped that he would come back to see them restored to glory. Or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you? See, that's the most important question all of us have. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that Jesus is? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Most important question, that anybody could ever answer is, who is Jesus? Peter got it right. You are the Christ. I was at Liam's cricket yesterday and I heard somebody cursing with the name of Jesus, which I'm not one of those people that get up and tells people to stop. But who is Christ? What is Christ? Christ means Messiah, means Saviour. Christ means Lord. Christ means the Anointed One. When Peter was saying that, what he was saying is that, Jesus, You are the one we've been waiting for, desperately hoping for, and You are the one that we need to follow and serve and honour. You are the one, You are are whose side I need to be on. So it's as if Peter was walking around Jericho, overwhelmed with the problems of life, and he's presented with the question, who do you say Jesus is? Jesus, You are everything. Jesus, You are the one we're following. Jesus, You are the one I'm willing to give my life to. And even though He had some ups and downs along the way, He did. 
And God utilised him and empowered him. And Jesus says, on this, I will build my church. He didn't mean a building, He meant a people. A group of people called out from death to life to live out what they actually believe. See, a church is not a building because it has to be a people, but it has to be a people who not just sit in the same building together. It's a people who choose to live what they believe. And out of that living what they believe, they go into their schools and their workplace and the university and their families and they cause change to come out because they've answered the question for themselves, whose side are you on? It's not my side, it's not their side. I'm following Jesus' side. And because of that, they become a people who can take ground together. Church, we are called to take ground. And it begins by answering that question. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.